Masabe. Great, come on, let's go back to the spa. follow up that right there, huh? Well, happy Mother's Day from me as well. It is an honor and a privilege to be before you, um, whether you're here at Lone Tree Campus or the Highland Ranch Campus, if you're listening at the Castle Rock Campus, or this weekend at the grand opening of our Lakewood Campus. Um, how cool is that? Um, before I go into the message, I actually want to just to to Shout out to Lakewood and actually to Pastor John and Pastor Chris. Um, Kim and I have been here for over 13 years at JFC. And one of the coolest things about being here is that the vision and mission of Jubilee Fellowship Church has never changed. It has been the same vision. It has been the same mission. The vision being that we are a regional teaching and training center And the mission being that we will go strategically into our communities and plant churches so that the maximum number of people can taste the bread of life. And what's happening today is that we are seeing our fourth campus having their grand opening. And what a just an incredible thing to see that that vision and mission just continue to grow and expand. And I just want to say to Pastor John, as I know that he is at the Lakewood campus right now, I want to just say thank you so much that... I can be a part of what you have been called by God to do, and it is an honor and a privilege to serve you, and we love you. You are an incredible pastor. You heard from God, and you're doing exactly what God told you to do, and I just I thank you and I applaud you in all that you're doing. Yeah. All right, well, as I said, it's an honor and a privilege. I get to... Uh, do part four of the pitfall series. And you know, our, our, our little tagline is pitfalls. I just want out. And what the topic is that I have is how do you help somebody get out of the pit? And before I jump in, I'm just going to ask the Lord to speak through me and um, just invite, well, I know his presence is here, but I want to make myself very aware to his presence. And as I'm praying, would you do the same thing? Because I believe this with all of my heart. If, if we will just become present to his presence, God can come in through the Holy Spirit and can touch our hearts and actually can change our lives. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that uh, we can be here today celebrating the love that you have for us. And Lord, I lift up, first off, I lift up all of our moms and I pray that you would bless them with a special blessing this weekend and I pray that you would just touch their hearts and their lives and Lord, I pray that you would encourage them in all the, the, all the things that they do. 
Lord, I pray for this word and I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase in me and Lord, that I would communicate your heart. God, it is by the blood of the lamb, it's the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony in which we overcome things. And so Lord, I pray that every single person that is hearing this message today, God, that they would have a testimony walking out of wherever they are hearing this from and they would walk out with an understanding and a better testimony of who you think they are. And that they would have a deeper understanding and a deeper level of understanding how much you care and how much you love for them, you love them, and how much you want to help them get out of any circumstance and any situation that they may find themselves in. Lord, communicate through me your heart. God, without you, it's just notes on a piece of paper. But with you, it can be life-changing. It can be transformation in our lives. And Lord, that is what we pray for. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, as I was thinking about this whole series, the Pitfall series, um, and going into the Word of God, I, I started to think, who in the Bible would best exemplify someone who's in a pit? And I think everybody could probably think of somebody right away. Uh, his name was Job. Okay, and I want to just uh, give you a little bit background uh, information on Job in case you were unaware. The Word of God actually says this in, in verse 1, uh, or in chapter 1 of Job. It says this, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. And it goes on and it describes, describes his family. And it actually says that this man was so righteous before the Lord that he would actually pray for his sons and daughters. And he would, he would offer sacrifices after their birthday parties. Read it. Go back in Scripture and look. After their birthday parties, he would actually offer sacrifices for each one of his kids. And this is the intent of the sacrifice. Perhaps they sinned. And so, therefore, I will offer a sacrifice. I mean, this was a man that loved the Lord with all of his heart, with everything in him, and he would do, I mean, anything to, to make things right with God. He would pray for his kids in the, in the slight chance, or in the, maybe it's not a slight chance if you have kids, uh, in, in the chance that they might make a mistake and they might miss the mark. So, that's the background on the man. Now, In your notes there, you'll see in Job chapter 1, a little bit later, verse 13, it says this, talking about Job entering into a time uh, of a a pit in his life. It says this, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to to tell you. That, that's bummer news, right? But it doesn't just stop there. It says this. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Well, that, that's a bummer, but it's not done yet. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. But wait, there's more. 
While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. In worship. And as I'm reading through um, the story of Job, uh, I, the message is supposed to be how to help others out of the pit. I, I need to talk to people that are in the pit real quick. Um, first off, here, here's this man that in the midst of all of these circumstances, and I wish I could say that that's where it ended, but it doesn't. It actually goes on and it says that Job's physical being actually then gets, um, he has sores, I mean things to where he's actually taking Clay pots, breaking them and scraping his skin because it is bothering him so bad. That's the condition of where he was. Talk about being in a pit. You've lost your family. Your physical health is gone. You, all your riches are completely gone. I mean, to lose your cattle and to lose your camels, that's like losing your bank accounts. They didn't have a monetary system in bank account. They had it in their livestock and the things that they owned. And here is a man that is in this incredible pit in his life. And the first thing I want to bring to your attention is that he went before the Lord in worship in the middle of that. I'm reading through this story just to see how did Job's friends respond, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit later in in the message. But a couple things jumped out to me for those who are in a pit. The first one is this. In Job chapter 7, verse 7, Job himself says this, Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. How many of us can relate to a low point in our life where we were in a pit and we could find ourselves going, My eyes will never see happiness again. That's... What happened, you know, Pastor John talked about in the first two messages how one of the, one of the traps of a pit is that instead of looking out because we, it, it's dark in a pit, we start to look inward. And when we start to look inward, we begin to uh, just see that there's just not a whole lot of, of hope in our situation because uh, church, in our, st- in our own strength, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. And as we begin to look inward, we see, we're just like with Job. Man, my eyes will never see happiness again. But again, for those that are in a pit, I want to encourage you with this. Because the end of Job says this. There's a few different verses I'm going to quote, but in Job 42, it says this. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the later part of Job's life more than the first. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children, children's children, to the fourth generation. And so he died old and full of years. And I just felt like the Lord wanted me to tell anybody who's in a pit that there is hope. You may think that there is no way out of the circumstances that you are in. There is uh, utter darkness and utter chaos going on in your life. And you may be just like Job where he actually told the Lord, just kill me. Just take my life now. 
And you may be there, but I want to encourage you. You know what? God is the God that restores us from times of pits in our lives. And he wants to restore you. And he wants to bring you out of that in a better position than you were before you went in. Now that is a word, I am telling you, the message is not about people in the pit. It's supposed to be about helping others, how to help others get out of the pit. But I felt like God told me very clearly, tell those who are in a pit, there's hope. There's hope. He wants to restore you. Let me transition out of that and then talk about getting people out of, out of the pit. I'm going to get away from those that are in the pit and now I'm going to talk to everybody else. If I didn't just talk to you, then now the rest of the message is for you. How do we get people out of the pit? As I began to study and I began to pray through uh, this aspect, I began to see something very, uh, very amazing, actually, to me personally, I, and I hope it translates to you guys as well. Um, and that was this. I researched through the Word of God everywhere the word pit was spoken about in the Bible. I have a concordance uh, on my computer and I can just type in the word pit and it lists all these verses and there were a ton more verses than I thought there were gonna be and a lot of those verses actually deal with being, as Pastor John said, either pushed into a pit or falling into a pit or actually jumping into a pit and and getting into these places in our lives um, where they're just low times in our lives. And as I was going through that and praying, okay, what do I bring to the church? I felt like uh, there's three uh, thoughts that the Lord wanted me to share. But one of the things that really struck me was I wanted a formula. Okay? And I know that there are probably some of you that are here right now listening to this today going, yeah, Pastor Dan, that would be great. Give me a formula of how to help somebody out of pit. Uh, and the truth is, if I could give you a formula, I would write a book and I would sell it and I'd be a millionaire and there would be no one ever again in a pit. I know this in my head. I do. I do know this. But as I'm studying, I'm looking for a formula. Does anybody else do that? I am looking for, I want to give them a four. I want to give them the three steps to, here's how you pull somebody out of the pit. And overwhelmingly, here's what I discover. Uh, There is no formula to this. There is no formula to this. And so here's the three thoughts that I wanted to share with you today. First one is this. Understand that it is not your responsibility to rescue the person from the pit. Now, this is key, and this is huge. And as I was praying about this, I really felt like the Lord um, wanted me to spend uh, just a little bit of time here. Not much, but enough to get the emphasis to every single person in the room, um, whether it's here at Lone Tree, at Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, or Lakewood. And that is this. If God brings someone into your life that is in a pit, it's because he wants to do something in their life, and he wants you to team up with what he's doing in order to help that person get out of the pit. And I don't know what it is about human nature, and I'm, I'm this way, this is exactly how I am, but I want to come into a situation, and I want to be the one that delivers that person out of that situation. And what happens when you start taking that responsibility and that load on, is you begin to carry this huge weight And what I've seen in my life is that when I begin to carry that weight, I begin to get discouraged because first, the person doesn't get out of the pit. 
Second, I'm very inadequate in actually trying to get somebody out of the pit. And so that brings me to the third point about that, which is then I give up and I stop coming alongside of what God's doing in somebody's life when they're in a pit. Does that make sense? And it's so important to understand that everything in this life, I mean, doesn't, doesn't that just make sense? Everything in this life is actually, we're supposed to team up with what God's doing and not figure, go find ourselves in a place where we go, I know what God's doing, I don't need you, Lord, let me do it. You know, I gave a message a few months back and I talked about that exact thing on the fact that we try to uh, take the one promise that God gives us and it says, okay, we've got it. And then we cast it aside and then we move on and we go figure out how we're going to do it on our own. And I said, the importance of hearing God's voice is so key. How do you get somebody out of a pit? The importance of hearing God's voice is so key. And it's going to be really the theme as I go through this entire message. We have to hear the voice of the Lord. Because God wants us to come alongside of what he's doing in regards to helping restore somebody and bring them out of the pit. He is not expecting you to bring them out. I hope this is freeing for people. Because as I was studying, I was thinking, I even told my wife, I go, you know what the coolest thing about this thing is as I'm, as I'm studying this out and realizing this, I'm like throwing that burden off. This isn't my responsibility. It reminded me of the scripture that says, you know what, it's our job to plant the seed, it's our job to water the seed, but it's whose job to grow? But it's God's. In other words, we come alongside of him, we plant seeds, we water them, and then we stand back and we watch God do these things. And when you have somebody in your life that comes into your life who is in a pit and you see that they're in a pit, whether it's the things that we've talked about in pain or depression or maybe it's things we haven't talked about financially uh, with their children, with their spouses, whatever it may be, come alongside. Come alongside of what God is doing and understand it's God's responsibility. Your job is to plant a seed, to water that seed, and then step back and watch God pull that person out of the pit and restore that person as Job into a better place than before that person got in the pit. It says in the word of God, I prayed it in my opening prayer, but I think it's just so important. Revelations 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Last Weekend, Pastor Jonathan Murley did a great job speaking about depression. And our worship team over at the Highlands Ranch campus, um, they did, I, I don't even remember the name of the worship song, but one of the, the bridge to the song is we have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And as we were singing that, I, man, it just became just so real to me that there are two parts to us overcoming there are two parts to your friend or to your family member or to your neighbor who's in a pit. There are two parts to them overcoming. The first part has already been done. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. He died on that cross. He gave his life. He shed his blood so that we could overcome these things that we face. But the second thing 
and by the word of our testimony. And when you come alongside somebody and you team up with God, your responsibility in that is to bring them to a place where their testimony lines up with the word of God. Not the word of Dan, but with the word of God. And you line them up with that. And I believe that if they apply the blood of Jesus and they begin to speak the testimony that God has for their life, they will overcome. They will overcome. Moms, it's Mother's Day. Obviously, this isn't a Mother's Day message. But I really felt like the Lord wanted me to encourage moms in the middle as I go through these points. And um, again, happy Mother's Day to you. We wouldn't be here without you. (laughs) I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you this. And I hope that it's an encouragement. Um, And I definitely don't mean it in any condemnation or in any guilt way. Um, But I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you this. Mothers, it is not your job to rescue your kids. And let me explain that. It's the Lord's job. And I believe that um, moms, by nature, have this heart to rescue their kids. Moms, tell me if it's true. If your kid is hurting, if your kid is crying, do you want to immediately come to their aid and rescue or not? I remember Kim and I, when our baby girl was uh, maybe seven months, eight months, it, in, that, in that time when she wasn't eating in the middle of the night anymore, she was just waking up so that mom would hold her and then she would go right back to sleep. Kim came into uh, the room one night and she said, you know what, she's not even eating anymore. I don't even think she needs to eat in the middle of the night. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm the dad. Thing. Well, then she's not going to eat. <laughs> right? She doesn't need to. She's not going to. And so, so the next night, so we, we agreed. And Kim's like, I, I totally agree. So the next night, what happens? My baby girl starts to cry. And the motherly instinct rises in my wife. And she goes, um, should I go get her? No, she's not eating. <laughs> and I said, hey, I said, why don't you go check on her? Make sure her head's not stuck in the crib or something like that. Um, if she's okay, just come back to bed. So sure enough, she went in there. She was fine. She patted her on the back. It's going to be okay. And then she came back to bed. For an hour and a half, church, we listened to our baby girl cry. Now, I got to be honest with you. After about 45 minutes, I was like, I'm going to go get her. Kim's like, no, she's not eating. And we wrestled back and forth that night about who's going to go. We were hitting our pillows. I, it, was, it was crazy. Now, our nature, especially mother's nature, is I want to go rescue our child. But do you realize that if you rescue and you pull your kid out of the pit every time they go into a pit, then you are actually establishing a pattern for their life that when they get into the real world and they fall into their first real pit and you're not there to pull them out, they are going to be buried Oh, see, that was better than that. It starts even at the earliest age of six and seven and eight months. Um, moms, again, it's so important to hear from the Lord. 
The Lord will guide you in this. The Lord will direct you in this. But I want to encourage you. It's the Lord's responsibility. And he's going to use you moms to help your kids learn how to get out of the pits. He's going to use you. And in the middle of that, sometimes you'll rescue them out of that. But a lot of times, you're going to come alongside them. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute with you but sometimes you're gonna, most of the times you're gonna come alongside and help them see what God's doing so that they can learn how to apply that when they get out on their own. Point number two. Give grace as you would want to receive it. How do we help people get out of the pits? They're screaming, I just want out. We come alongside of them. We just want them out. We do. It's not our responsibility though. We have to team up with whatever God's doing. And our, our timing's not always like God's timing. And so in the middle of that, I just want to encourage you with this. Give grace as you would want to receive it. Grace is something that we talk about at this church a lot. The word of God says that we are saved by grace and grace alone, not by works. It makes It makes Christianity, it's what makes Christianity different from all the other religions of the world. Is that we're saved by grace. It's simply what Jesus Christ did on that cross for our lives. And it is that same powerful grace that has brought us salvation. That same powerful grace is what gets us through times when we feel like we're in the pit. And when you fall into a low point in our life or in your life, if you're anything like me, you want people to come alongside of you and give you grace in the middle of that. You don't want people to come along you and start beating you up. And so here's what I did this week. I posted a couple things on Facebook. The first question was this. In the lowest point in your life, what is something that somebody did that really helped you out? And here's some of the responses. I, I, had in, I had an amazing amount of people actually respond to that question. Things to do. Pray. Several people said, I could feel the prayers of people. When you're in a pit, wouldn't you want people to pray for you? Extend the grace that you want to receive. When you're coming alongside somebody in a pit, extend the grace that you would want to receive. How about this one? They listened to me. They listened to me. They were just there. That was in several of them. They didn't say anything. They just were there with me. Extend the grace that you would want to receive. How about this one? They didn't judge me for the pit I was in. Man, I gotta gotta be honest. My name is Daniel, which is God is my judge. I'm good at judging. There's just something in me that that's the first thing I wanna do is figure out why you're in the pit. I'm gonna share a little story in just a minute about my kids, but that's, that's just how I am. And I think a lot of times when people are in a pit, they feel judged And unfortunately, who do they feel judged most by? By their Christian family members. I'll hear this from people. 
I get more compassion and more grace from people who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior than I do from people who are in the church. Ouch. Helping somebody get out of the pit, come alongside them, give them the grace that you would want to receive. Do not judge them. How about this one? They met needs without being asked. They encouraged me. These are just things that um, happened to people when they were in a pit that really helped them out. So then on Wednesday, I thought, oh, I got another good question. And the question was this. (coughs) In a low time in your life, what did a well-intentioned, what did a good-meaning person come along and say or do that didn't help you? Dude, I'm just telling you, as I'm reading through the responses, I'm finding myself going, I did that one. I did that one. I've done that one. I've said that one. And I went, God, this message is is for me too. (laughs) Extend the grace you would want to receive. Listen to hear or listen to some of the things that people said. Things not to do. Tell them they are in the pit because of the sin in their life. This wasn't just once or twice. This was commented by many people. In other words, we've got people in the church that are going to people who have fallen into a pit and said, hey, down there, hey, you know why you're in there? It's because you sinned. Thank you. That helps a lot. They may be in there because they jumped in there. They don't need you to tell them that. (laughs) You know, Pastor John said, we get pushed in, we fall in, or we jump in. But even in the middle of all three of those things, be careful. Remember, extend the grace you'd want to receive. If you jumped into a pit, would you want somebody to tell you, hey, you just jumped in that pit, it's your sin. Extend the grace you'd want to receive. How about this one? People said, I've done this one. I know exactly how you feel. This doesn't help people in the pit. Just wanting to let you know. That's what they're, that's what they're saying. It actually, again, well-intentioned comments that actually didn't help people who were in the pit. Well, how about this one? This one shocked me, but I thought, after I thought about it, I thought, well, that's really good. Don't say, is there anything that you need? Wait a second, that's a really nice sentiment. Here's what the person wrote. Because when I'm in the pit, I don't really know what I need. If you team that up with what to do, where somebody said, meet the needs that I have, if you can get insight from the Lord of what somebody needs when they're in a pit, it will go a long way. If you don't ask them, hey, tell me if there's anything you need, if you'll just go and meet that need and present that to them, that will mean more to them than you could ever imagine. It actually may be one of the stepping stones to helping them see God and move out of that pit. How about this one? Bible verses. Well, wait a second. The Bible is the manual of life. I totally agree with you on that. 
The Bible is the thing that helps people get out of the pits. I totally agree with that. But then I heard a friend tell me this story. So I sent my son off on a year-long mission trip. And he goes out on this mission trip. And I'm worried about him. And I go into a family situation and I was just sharing my concern and the, fit, the fact that I was in a little bit of a pit in regards to where, where my son was. And here's what one of the family members said. You know, in Philippians it says, don't worry about anything. Cast your cares on the Lord in prayers and supplication. He goes, that did not help me. And he just said it just seemed so contrite. It wasn't supportive. It wasn't extending grace. It was just like, you know, you should be standing more on your word. And I think that's what we do a lot of times is we take the Bible and we start to beat people over the head because they're in the pit. So it's easy, right? I'm not saying not to use the Bible when you come alongside and help somebody, but I want you to understand, be careful how you do that. Listen to what the word of the Lord, or listen to what God is telling you and how to use the word of the Lord. Okay, other things that were said. You're not praying enough. You don't have enough faith. What is God teaching you? Guilty. Somebody said that doesn't help. Now how about this one? Everything happens for a reason. Last one I have in my notes, <laughs> you talk too much. <laughs> and I'm going to get into that right now about that. Here's what the Word of God says in regards to helping people get out of the pit. John 11.35 says that, um, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, and it says that Jesus wept. Give you a quick background on the story. Lazarus, his friend, has died. And Jesus actually takes a couple days to go uh, to Martha and Mary. And when he finally gets there, they come and they express just their, their mourning and the fact that they, they're grieving over the fact that Lazarus has passed away. And here is Jesus who knows what's about to take place. Get this. This is important. He knows what's going to happen. And yet, in the middle of this, the very first thing he does is he actually weeps with Mary and Martha. He comes alongside of what God is doing in that circumstance. They're in this pit. He comes alongside of them and he weeps with them, full well knowing what's going to take place. Here's how I would have done it. What are you guys crying for? I'm going to raise him from the dead. And a lot of times we kind of have that attitude. But here is our role model, Jesus Christ. The very first thing he did is he had compassion and he came alongside of them, and he wept with them. Romans twelve fifteen says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Hebrews three thirteen. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Why do I read those? Because I want you to understand even though it's not 
necessarily your responsibility to pull the person out of the pit. It is all of our responsibility to come alongside of people who are in pits and encourage them and help them and gently restore them to a place where God can pull them out. Where's the amen on that? Amen, that's yes. See, I think, I think we have all gotten in this place where we've maybe tried to pull somebody out of the pit and got so discouraged that we've just kind of given up on this aspect. And I want you to know, God doesn't want you to give up. He wants you very much to be involved in the process of what he's doing. Now, let me tell you a little story about, or let me continue with Job and, and how his friends helped. In Job chapter two, verse 11, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Well-intentioned friends, yes? yes? Okay, just making sure. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. Sounds kind of like Jesus. Jesus wept. Here they are, they're weeping with Job. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, I just want to tell you that these friends of Job's started really well. They mourned with Job. They grieved with him. They came and sat with him for seven days and seven nights. When's the last time you spent a week grieving with somebody and that's all you did. And you just hung out. You didn't say a single word. You just sat there and grieved with them. They started out really well. But here's what happens. Oh, and I hope that you get this. I hope I communicate it the way that God showed it to me. I believe that after seven days, they started getting uncomfortable. And they started going, you know what? I got to do something to help hit this guy out. Job needs help. And so, you know what? I'm going to come alongside of him and I'm going to start telling him what he needs to do so that he can get out of this pit. And they were in tune with what God wanted for them. And then all of a sudden they said, you know what, God, you're not moving fast enough. Ugh. How many of us do that? God, you're not moving fast enough in this, so I'm going to accelerate the process. And in the next 30 chapters of Job, it's a dialogue between these three friends and Job himself. And here are the things that they accuse Job of. It's your sin. Hear me and apply what I say. Because, you know, I'm out of the pit. You're in the pit. So you need to listen to me. God will rebuke you. Thank you. Thanks. That's helping. They tell him, be sensible. If you're in a pit... It's hard to be sensible, isn't it? It's so hard to be sensible. You don't need somebody telling you that. They tell him that. Job gets mad. He rebukes them. What are you saying to me? I mean, he gets angry at what they're saying. And one of the retorts back from his friends is, don't rebuke me. You're dishonoring me by rebuking me. You read through the story of Job. It's unbelievable the interaction that takes place between these three friends and Job. Well-intentioned friends that are trying to help him out of the pit. They tell him, it's your piety or it's your fear. And that's why you're in this pit. 
They make Job feel inferior. They make him feel more miserable. He, he ultimately fen, ended up feeling crushed, attacked, and belittled by these friends. Now, there was a fourth friend that actually came along and was a part of this process. His name was Elihu, and it brings me into my third point. Second point in helping get people out of the pit is to extend the grace that you would want to receive. The third point is this. Point them to the Lord. Point them to the Lord. Now, this is where moms, you guys are so good. And I know I'm speaking in generalities. I know, I know that some people maybe didn't have a mom or, or their mom wasn't the best mom. But in general, mothers are so good at this aspect. See, when my kids fall into a pit or even just a little pothole, here's, here's my job as dad. I'm like, hey, guys, you're in a pit, and here's how you got in there, and you need to get out. That's what I tell them. Not in so many words, but that's basically what I tell them. Here's a conversation that, that we had at our dinner table the other night. Uh, Alyssa tells me something, and I'm like, well, here's what happened. And I just tell, and she looks at me like, why are you talking to me like this? And Kim goes, you sound really angry. And I'm like, I'm not angry. She fell in a pit. I'm trying to get her out. I'm doing the dad thing. Come on. It's not helping. And the thing that Kim is so good at, and I believe that you moms are so good at, is you come alongside and you extend that grace that you would want to receive. And you, you go to their heart level and you try to understand, okay, first off, how did you get into the pit? See, I, I don't even take the time to do that. I'm like, you're in there. Why are you in there? But they, they go, why are you in here? Let, let me come alongside you. And they, they come alongside and they help to see what God's doing. And they do exactly this in point three, and that is this. They point then, at least what Kim, I've observed Kim do, is she points them to the Lord and what God is doing in that situation. And what's amazing is especially when the spirit is involved in that conversation and they see the lie. Because a lot of times, like Pastor John said, it's a lie. The lie gets you in the pit. And so, uh, you know, I've seen both my son and my daughter respond to what Kim has told them, tear that line down, and then just call them right on, the, right on like, like she said, like on the rubble of that lie. And they pop out. And I'm like, Kim, how'd you do that? She's like, I just listened to them, and then I pointed them to Jesus, and boom, they popped out. This is exactly what I believe Elihu does for Job. Job 32.2, but Elihu, son of Barakal, the Buzzite, <laughs> of the family of Ram, become, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Now, Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than him. First off, they, he was very humble. He kept his mouth shut for a long, long time. Seven days, seven nights, and then throughout this entire dialogue that takes 30 chapters, he keeps dialing. Finally, he speaks. Chapter 37, this is what he says. Listen to this, Job. 
Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge? Later in 37, it says, The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. He does not oppress. Therefore, men revere him for does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? And here's what I believe Job did. Job came along, I mean, Elihu came alongside Job and said, Job, here's all I'm going to say. Look at God. Look at how big he is. Do you know how those clouds got hung there? Do you see how almighty all of the creation is? Do you realize that this almighty creator does not oppress and pointed Job, who was in this pit, ultimately blaming God for everything. Who? How many in a pit? Blame God for everything about that pit. You jumped in. It's God's fault. You got pushed in. God pushed me in. You fell in. God wanted me to fall in. We have an enemy of our soul, church. Most of the time, it's him. And the other half of the time, or maybe the other three quarters of the time, it's us jumping in. I, I, I don't think God ever puts us intentionally, okay, hey, go in the pit. He, yes, he allows them. Listen to the week one and two of Pastor John. Just incredible aspect in regards to that. But here, Elihu takes Job and says, look to God. And here's what's really cool. The very next verse. The very next verse. It's in chapter 38, verse one. The Lord answered Job out of the storm. The Lord answered. This was the first time in the whole story that finally Job was able to hear the voice of God. His friend came alongside of what God was doing, pointed him, showed him the greatness of God, the fact that he does not oppress. Job, I believe with all my heart, listened to what he was saying and went, you're right. And the second that he said, you're right, he began to hear God. I got to wrap up really quick. So I'll just, I'll say this. Our job in coming alongside the people who are in a pit is to encourage, is to come alongside, is to mourn with, to love, to restore gently, and with all intention, point them to God. It is at that point then, between the person and the Lord, on whether they get out of, out of the pit. Extend the grace that you would want and in the middle of that, point them up to God because I believe this. If, if Pastor John, if what he said is correct in that when you're in the pit, you start to look inward. If we come alongside and do everything that we can take that inward focus and focus it out, then they'll begin to see the light. And as they begin to see the light, God's power can then come in and begin to restore them and bring them out of that pit. We have to hear from the Lord. We have to hear from God. I don't have time to go into this, but for your own study, interesting difference between David, who was in a pit because he jumped in one, Job, who was in a pit because he fell into one, and Naomi, Naomi, I'm sorry, Job was pushed into one. And Naomi 
who fell into one when her husband died and Ruth came alongside and just hung out with her. There's different, as you hear the voice of God, you'll begin to realize there's different ways to minister to the different ways people got into those pits. So just encourage you to study those, those different stories out. Story of David, story of Job, story of Naomi and Ruth. As the worship teams come and all the campuses, I just want to, I want to conclude by actually focusing back on those that may feel like, hey, I'm in a pit. I want to read you a scripture and give you just an encouraging word and we're going to go into a time of worship. In Isaiah, very common scripture that most of us have heard if you've been in church at any length of time. Isaiah 6, this is verse 1 and verse 5. It says, in the, year of King Uzziah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, we've heard that and seen, I mean, especially in like a worship thing. Oh, man, I saw the Lord high and exalted, and, and man, his, it, the presence of God just filled the temple. Man, isn't that what we want in church? We want the presence of God to come fill this temple. And, and we see it like, like that. And Pastor John reminded me, uh, this week, as we were talking about the message and we shared these things with the teaching team, he said, do you, you realize that um, Isaiah and the king, they had a special relationship? You know, uh, Uzziah actually took the throne as a boy. And it says that he followed the ways of the Lord. So here you have this king who followed the ways of the Lord and you have the prophet that would speak into the king's life. And they had a close relationship. And when he died, Isaiah was in a pit. He was in a pit. And here we have in Isaiah 6, in that same year, so he's died. It's been some time. He's been mourning. He's in this pit. He looks up and he sees the Lord on high, high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple. And in verse 5, Pick up the story, and this is what Isaiah says. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And what took place, and I want to speak to those who are in the pit, what took place in this situation in Isaiah's life is when he finally looked up and he saw the Lord high and exalted and highly lifted up, it was at that time that he began to see his condition. And when he saw his condition, he realized, woe am I. And it was at that time that God was able to come down and touch his lips. And amazing things took place in the life of Isaiah. Church, I want you to know. And I felt like God told me to close it out this way. I just want to point you to God. If you are in a pit right now, I just want to point you to God. I want you to realize you have a God that loves you, he cares for you, and he doesn't want you to be in that pit any longer. He wants you to see him high and lifted up. He wants you to see the greatness of who he is. And in that greatness, realize Woe am I, because it is in that moment where we go, woe am I, that we can give our hearts and our Lord, or our hearts and our minds and our souls to the Lord, and it is that time that we begin to see ourselves become restored.
turn it over to the campus pastors at this time to close out the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you have come to restore us, to give us life, not just regular life, but Jesus, you said that you came to give us abundant life. And so, Lord, we take this moment in time right now to just focus our eyes on you. God, help us to see you high and lift it up. God, as Elihu exclaimed to Job, we have no idea how this earth was formed. But I do know this, it is absolutely amazing. God, the way the clouds are, the way the mountains are around us, the way that the seas roar and yet are contained within boundaries. God, the way that we are made so intricately, every blood vessel and bone and the skin that we have, the fact that you know every hair on our heads. God, we are blown away by your greatness. And Lord, I pray that as we go into this worship time, you would reveal to every single person your greatness and the love that you have for them. And God, we respond. As you begin to show us that, we respond by lifting our arms to you, by lifting our hands above our heads to you and saying, Daddy, Daddy, we need help. And Lord, I pray that you would come down and then touch our lives in that way. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, we're going to go into a time of worship. And I was praying and I felt like, I mean, this could be a time where we just sing a few songs and then we leave. Or this could be an incredible time where we see the greatness and how big and how almighty our God is. It really becomes an individual choice on how much we enter into this time. But as you do so and God begins to pinpoint those things in your life that you feel like you need to give to the Lord, I want you to realize we've got all kinds of different elements. We've got these crosses in which you can go to the note cards that at the table by the cross and you can pin them to the cross. You know what? Those are not just little prayers we're putting up there. Three weeks ago over at the Highlands Ranch campus, I read a card that said this, help so-and-so, I'm not gonna say the name, but help so-and-so with their cancer. And because of a little inside information, I know I read two weeks, the next week, it's two weeks ago, I read a cross card that said this, I am cancer free, praise God, use this for your glory, Lord. There's powerful things. There's powerful things that can take place when you begin to realize how big God is, how small we are, but when we go to him, he can do incredible things. And when you pin those things to the cross, it's not just, oh, okay, yeah, I just did what they're telling me to do. No, man, do it with understanding. God wants to intervene in your life. 
We've got the candles up here to say, God, be the light in this particular area of my life. You can light a candle. We've got communion. We've got uh, people up here with the wine and bread. We've got juice and bread at the, at the crosses. You can just take the bread and dip it into those cups. And remember, it's the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that helps us to overcome. We've got prayer teams in the back. If you need to get prayer, whatever it is, as we go into this worship time, I would just request that you would respond to the greatness of God.